Chapter 10, The Drift. Most men will spend a lifetime existing but not truly living. They're just drifting through life. This is one of the most important chapters of this book. As I write this, I'm sitting on the beach at Necker Island, Sir Richard Branson's island. This is the closest thing to paradise a man can find. At the same time, I'm reminded of the saying, no man is an island. It doesn't matter how successful you are or how much money you have, you still need to be surrounded by people. Sir Richard Branson opens his home to hosts, entrepreneurs who want to make an impact because he knows the secret of success is being around like-minded individuals. That's what the most dangerous thing a man could do if he's stuck in the drift is to isolate himself because he feels like he's on an island, totally alone. He thinks he shouldn't be going through these challenges and begins to drift through life. I was first introduced to the concept of the drift in the book Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. He wrote the book in 1938, immediately after writing Think and Grow Rich. It was thought to be too controversial to print it in Hill's lifetime. Napoleon's wife convinced him not to publish the book because she believed people would judge him for it. She didn't want the backlash because the first book was doing so well. His kids found the manuscript after he passed away, but they didn't want to damage their father's reputation, so they didn't publish it either. It wasn't until his grandchildren found it, and they decided to publish it in 2011. It has been 80 years since the book was first written, but it's more relevant today than ever. The concept of this book is laid out as an interview, where Napoleon Hill is interviewing the devil on the tactics he uses to control mankind. The devil reveals his tricks to control the minds of men by seducing them to live in fear and stop thinking for themselves. The Danger of the Drift To pull one major point from this book, the devil's goal is to make all humans aimless drifters. What is more, if we're not careful, he quickly succeeds at this. The defining characteristic of being in a drift is fear, coupled with multiple emotional triggers to keep men drifting through life. When you are in a drift, you're living in a reactive state, being controlled by fear, and you see yourself as a victim of your circumstances. Here are the main fears the book talks about. Fear of poverty creates a scarcity mentality, preventing you from tapping into the creative part of your mind. The creative part of your mind is what helps you look and create more opportunities to live in abundance. In today's culture, the internet has proven that anybody with passion and creativity can make money. One of the biggest strengths is influencers and creators right now. 10 years ago, no one had the idea that this opportunity could even exist. They're literally making money out of people watching them doing what they love. People are using their creativity to make content where sponsors pay them millions of dollars for product placement. And they could literally turn their passion into profits with a YouTube channel or social media presence. As long as you're creative, authentic, and original, you can make millions. So the excuse of I don't have enough education or I don't have the resources is no longer applicable in today's world because there are new founders, new influencers, or companies every single day that have proven that theory wrong. Just follow Gary Vee, Kim Kardashian, Tyler, Ninja, Blevins, and you will quickly run out of excuses. Technology is making it easier for people to start a business or increase their production in business. But what stops people from doing it is fear. The fear of poverty keeps them in inaction, and they can't come up with creative options to test and try the market. Fear of illness. Fear of illness keeps us strapped in a state of paranoia, which stops us from enjoying life to the fullest. It puts stress on the body and eventually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I have friends who every time we talk, complain about some pain in their body and how they don't feel as young as they used to. They're the same friends who eat like shit and won't exercise, yet they blame their pain and their sickness on their age. They literally wore themselves sick. And then we have 80-year-old triathlons competitors who are defining the ads of age because they're in better shape in their 80s 
that most people are in their 40s. A recent documentary that I saw on Netflix called Game Changers talks about how just by eating healthier, in this case, a plant-based diet, you can reverse aging and be in better shape than people have your age. But the number one killer is stress. And it all begins with your mind. That's why the fear of illness keeps people from being healthy, eating better, and taking care of their bodies. Fear of not being loved creates a security of not being enough and is a primary source of low self-esteem. We do things for others that we wouldn't normally do because we don't want to lose their love. Eventually, we put our own needs last and focus only on pleasing everyone else. But in the end, we just hurt ourselves. Far too many people get into relationships for the wrong reasons. They're waiting for somebody to complete them because they feel like they're not enough. I speak to men all the time who blame their wives for the situation. The truth is, they're consistently thinking it's the job of their partner to complete them instead of working on themselves to be a complete human being so they could love unconditionally. Teenagers today suffer from anxiety and depression in record numbers. They're constantly comparing themselves to other people on social media and television and are insecure about themselves, so they turn to drugs, sex, and alcohol to sedate their lack of self-love. They live in a nearly constant state of FOMO, fear of missing out, because they don't have the capacity to be by themselves and do nothing. They don't feel connected with themselves, so they are afraid that when somebody else is having a good time without them, they're being left out and they're not enough. This supports my theory that young men are going through the tunnel in their 20s and 30s, not their 40s and 50s like my generation. Imagine somebody going through the midlife crisis in their 20s because he isn't where he thinks he should be in life. Fear of death is keeping us in the comfort zone, preventing us from trying new or different things because we're always looking at the worst case scenario. We become complacent and stale like someone trying to suck the juice out of an already dried up lime. The truth is we're all going to die someday, but not everyone truly lives because fear keeps them from experiencing life to the fullest. Every man needs a venture to feel alive. But if we're constantly fearing death, it stops from taking chances and risks, and we set up for a life of comfort instead of a life worth living. Fear of old age. Fear of old age keeps us worried we're not young anymore. We believe that the best years are behind us, and we don't have enough energy as we used to, so we eventually just give up. I read an article that said most successful entrepreneurs have started their biggest company in their mid-50s. There are several examples of entrepreneurs who started when the culture would deem them too old, but they achieved massive success and created an impact. The president of the United States as I write this book is Joe Biden, who's in his 70s, and the previous president, Donald J. Trump, who's in his 70s himself. This man have one of the most important jobs in the world. When you hear them talk, they say that they feel that they are smarter and better and wiser than when they were in their 40s. Full disclaimer, this book was published right when Joe Biden took office. As I'm doing this audiobook, it's already a year after he took office, and now I may have to retract this state of being too old to run a country. If you think you cannot be physically fit because you're getting old, that's a limited mindset as well. The world record for the longest plank hold is eight hours, and it was set by a 62-year-old man. Sylvester Stallone filmed a Rambo sequel in his 70s. That's the advantage of living in this world. We could get better with age, but if we let fear of getting old stop us from growing, we're never going to make the impact we're destined to make in this world. Fear of criticism keeps us from doing what we want to do because we're afraid what others may think. We'd rather not try than be criticized and judged. We care more about what others think than pursuing our own dreams. When I first started spreading my message about what the edge was, I began to create content online to talk about this problem. 
90% of the comments were people criticizing the way that I talk, the way that I look, my message, my hair, or my background. But 10% who resonated with my message, who sent me emails thanking me for speaking about this. And men usually don't communicate or write emails thanking other people. I choose to focus on the impact that I will make instead of trying to please my critics because that is an impossible task. Fear of disappointing others. Fear of disappointing others paralyzes us because we can only please so many people at once. It is impossible to please everyone because someone's always going to have an opinion. When we live in fear of disappointing other people, we lack the certainty of who we are. We live in uncertainty and doubt. You're always going to disappoint someone in your life, whether it's your parents, your wife, or your kids. The illusion of perfection is what keeps us in this fear state. All we can do is own our choices and take responsibility for our actions so when we disappoint someone, we can learn from the experience and not dwell on guilt and shame. Every time you get caught up in this mental trigger of fear, your mind begins to drift and you go into a trance. The more often you experience this trigger, the stronger the trance gets until it becomes a muscle memory. This is called the hypnotic rhythm. What are triggers? When you find yourself reacting to life instead of creating your life, that's called reacting to triggers. When I read Out in the Devil, I realized that I had been in a long drift in the middle of the tunnel. I was reacting to life. I realized I was no longer playing the game to win. I was playing just not to lose. The lack of drive had put me in a drift for years. When I realized what I was unconsciously doing, it dawned on me that our culture was designed to keep us in a drift. Most of the entertainment and the news content keeps us in a hypnotic rhythm so we could constantly live in fear. The longer we stay in a drift, the easier it is for companies or people to manipulate the way that we think. Stress has the measurable ability to temporarily lower our EQ and an IQ. At the time I'm writing this book, most popular media is directed towards people who are in a drift. The news especially is telling us we should live in fear. The news sometimes doesn't make sense anymore. It's like they're just trying to keep us in panic mode. We arm the same countries we go to war decades later. We're helpless against climate change. Immigrants are coming through the borders, so we need to build a wall. The phone that just costs $1,000 just might blow up anytime. And the White House seems to be more interested in putting a show for the cameras than getting things done. Could it be that maybe the news wants us to be angry and more confused rather than informed? Once I realized that I had been on a drift and I have fallen victim of the hypnotic rhythm, I had to find a way to break that pattern. But it's easier said than done. We have been conditioned since childhood to live in fear. To break the hypnotic rhythm, the first step is to become aware of the triggers. It's almost impossible to live without drifting at all. We're only human, so our minds are going to drift. What we can do is interrupt the pattern so we end the drift sooner every single time. The framework I came up with was adapt, adjust, and execute. This framework allows us to look at the drift as a gift that can teach us self-awareness. I've found that most men are drifting through life, panicking to put up fires rather than taking concrete action without even realizing they're in a drift. The first step is to ask yourself whether you are in a drift. If you're acting out of fear, you're most likely in a drift. The second is to ask yourself a series of questions that will help you analyze the problem so you can distill the gift from being in a drift. Question number one. What happened that caused the drift? This question will help you discover the triggers that put you in a drift. The moment you discover the trigger, write it down so you can go deeper. It could be a series of triggers. This question is important because it will help you answer the next one. Why did it trigger you? This question will help you understand the pattern so you can be aware of why the trigger is disturbing you. Multiple triggers can be involved in a pattern. I will give you an example of my patterns later. Question number three. What is the lesson? 
Here's where you find the gift and the drift. If your mind is constantly operating out of fear, it will look as if life is happening to you. But when you are aware of your triggers and patterns, you will see that life is happening for you. The opportunity here is to grow from the drift. If you want to succeed in life, the path is not a straight line. You will hit walls that you need to jump over or break through. The drift can take you on a path that strips away self-awareness. I choose to reframe whatever happens to me and turn it into a lesson. This is not just positive thinking. This is self-awareness and learning from your behavior. Adapt to what's going on in your life. Adjust your patterns so they don't control you. Execute a plan of action based on what you're learning about yourself. Here's how I adapt, adjust, and execute. I ask myself what happened. One of the things that causes me to drift is being overwhelmed with projects and trying to do too many things at once. I'm constantly going 100 miles an hour in every direction, like most entrepreneurs. But when I feel overwhelmed, it takes me into a drift and I operate out of fear. I ask myself, why did it trigger me? I feel overwhelmed because I believe I don't have enough time. I'm trying to do more than my schedule could allow. And I feel like a failure if I don't accomplish everything. I turn my experience into a lesson. I have to learn to prioritize and delegate my projects. My wife always tells me, you can't do anything, but you can do everything. I adapt by recognizing that I am my capacity. I adjust my schedule to see what I can delegate or eliminate. I execute a plan by removing things that are not urgent from my schedule. The pattern of not having enough time falls under the fear of not being enough or disappointing people. Usually all achievers have the scoping pattern when it comes to time. Once you're aware of the pattern, you can reframe it and see the gift in it. I choose to believe that when I feel overwhelmed, it is an opportunity for me to increase my capacity and learn to say no when I have to or delegate more to others when I can. Here's another example. One of my businesses didn't turn a profit and I had to cover the losses. I have multiple projects in real estate and other companies, so I go into a drift when I lose money instead of making money. Why did it trigger me? I began to feel scarcity because I don't like losing money. It brings me back to memories of when I lost millions of dollars in the market and I was operating out of fear. I tell myself I don't want to go back to the place again. The trigger makes me focus on the past instead of being present at the moment. What was the lesson? You could either complain about losing or create more opportunities to win, but you can't do both. Every time I go into scarcity mentality, I break the pattern by creating innovation. I read a quote by an Indian business leader, an urban gosh, that said, Scarcity is the mother of innovation. It's amazing how many deals I was able to create when my back was against the wall. I must continue to remind myself that I am a producer, and if I take reasonable risks, I will win in the long run. The fear of losing money or not having enough money can create a major drift in a man's life. I've seen millionaires go into a downward spiral when the deal goes bad, and when they enter a rut, they lose everything because of fear. I adapted by accepting that I must lose some to win some. I adjusted by being innovative and seeing what other opportunities I would create. I executed by reminding myself that to succeed as an entrepreneur, I must learn how to take the hits. The last example I will give you is about my relationship. What happened? I haven't had sex in a while and my wife seems cold and distant. This usually creates distance in a relationship because we're both busy and we have two kids and a dog. Why did I get triggered? I feel disconnected from my wife and the pattern I run through is the fear of losing love. My love language, based on the book The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, is physical touch. When I don't feel my wife is being affectionate, I begin to drift and think that I'm not being loved. What's the lesson? Usually, a drift is due to lack of connection. We have been married for more than 20 years 
And to keep the passion going, we need to be intentional. When I feel disconnected, it's an opportunity for me to do something creative and plan something to surprise her and connect again. Even after 20 years, I still take my wife on dates. When we break out of the pattern of being an everyday grind, we find new ways to connect and even go deeper. I realize it's not just about sex, it's about connection. I adapted by becoming aware of my lack of connection. I adjusted by understanding my love language's touch, so I need to communicate with my wife so we could find time to connect. I executed by scheduling a date night, which could end up with sex, but I'm not attached to the outcome. These are just some examples. By asking yourself these questions and taking yourself through this process in any aspect of your life, you will find your pattern and triggers and you will become a master in creating the circumstances instead of reacting to them. By doing this, you will find your own king's code. Most people are reacting to life while you are discovering why you do what you do. I encourage you to start looking at your drift as a gift in order to become more aware of your behavior. When you become aware of the things that take you in a drift, you can enter the pattern much faster. I sometimes still go in a drift, but they're not as long as they were before. People ask me to tell me if I have bad days. My answer is no. I may have a bad moment, but I refuse to let them turn into bad days. Right now, to make sure you understand this, I want you to write down some of the things that you think would take you into a drift. Get a journal. And the next time you get upset about something or find yourself reacting to life, take yourself through the adapt, adjust, and execute formula to find the pattern. This will alone help me compound time by shortening the drift and making me more aware of why I do what I do. If you get nothing else from this book, I want you to understand that your subconscious mind determines your reaction to life. If you don't become more conscious about your actions and use the power to choose and learn, you will drift through life unconsciously. Leadership is a choice. If you want to find your king's code, you need to master yourself. This is what mastery is all about. Finding the patterns and triggers that take you into a drift. An awakened king is more valuable than thousands of men who drift through life. My intention for you is to realize that if you're reading this book, the awakening has begun. The next chapter, I'm going to go deeper into my work. My mission is to help people access their full potential so they can find the edge, go to the next level, lead with a purpose, and reach their ultimate destiny. As we continue to go deeper in this transformation, the end game is to become a king who has the highest level of consciousness. As we continue to go deeper in this transformation, the end game is to become a king who has a high level of consciousness. He knows the stages of the life that he's in. He conditions his mind, body, spirit daily. He's aware of his patterns and triggers and he's looking to create a legacy. In the next chapter, we're going to go deeper into the levels of consciousness and what it means to transcend as a king to create your legacy. At the beginning of this book, I promised you it was going to be a transformational experience. And now, we're going to go even deeper into the awakening.